Hi, I'm Mike Tom with Colleen Hood, and welcome to another episode of Connections. The term Christian is used only three times throughout Scripture, whereas the Greek word hagios, translated as saints, is used more than 60 times and identified and infused the early church with a sense of mission and belonging. Addison Bevere is the CEO of Messenger International and son of best-selling authors John and Lisa Bevere. He believes the archaic term is the mysterious key to unlocking the life of meaning and purpose that many Christians crave. A very interesting conversation ahead of us today on Connections. Tell us a little bit about yourself. For those who don't know, who is Addison? Yeah, well, I am a father to four, husband to one. I've been married for 12 years, and I'm the COO of Messenger International. We're a, a global organization, and our mission is to get people to see themselves as messengers. We believe that there's one God, one message, but many messengers. And so we want people to realize that their lives tell the story of the gospel. And we want them to find that purpose and that significance in their everyday lives. So we do that through media, through publishing, through podcasting, through traveling and speaking at events. We're connected with over 20,000 churches in the U.S. and Canada. And then over the last seven years, we've distributed and given away over 30 million resources in over 100 languages to the developing church all over the world. And um, I get to be the COO of that operation, which is amazing. And I also happen to be, I don't know if um, you're familiar with John and Lisa Bevere, I'm their firstborn son. Oh, fabulous. There you go. (laughs) You were destined to be an author then. They're best-selling authors. Again, Addison, your new book is called Saints. Tell us about the book. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the the whole title is, is Saints Becoming More Than Christians. And whenever I do these interviews, people are like, are you campaigning against the term Christian? Is, like, is Christian a bad term? And my response to that is, no, it's not. But it is one of those terms that's lost its meaning, it's lost its significance. And I remember there was a time, it was like 10 years ago, I was on, I was on a plane, and I was sitting next to this lady. And when I, when I get on planes, I'm pretty much head forward. I'm very introverted, so I don't like to, to talk to strangers. But uh, this lady, she wasn't getting the cues. Like, she wanted to talk the whole flight. And an hour and a half later, she had shared her whole life story with me and, and asked me a lot of questions as she was sharing her history. And then at one point in the conversation, she did what you're not supposed to do. She brought up politics or, or religion, right? Like, those are two things. You don't talk about those things with strangers. And she looked at me, and she goes, so what religious practice do you follow? And I knew, based on our conversation up to that point, I knew she had been hurt by Christians, that she was not a fan of Christianity, and I remember squirming in my seat. I was like, ooh, how do I answer her? Because if I tell her I'm a Christian, everything that I've shared up to this point, she's going to toss it out the window. And in that moment, Colleen, it's not that I was ashamed of Jesus. Like, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. He's the one person who got this whole humanity thing right. But I was ashamed of the stereotypes, the stigmas, the labels that have been assigned to cultural Christianity. And there's this, there's this rise of the nuns, that's what the sociologists are calling it, N-O-N-E-S, this mass exodus of the faith, people leaving faith. They have no religious affiliation. And that group is claiming a lot of people who grew up, grew up as quote-unquote Christians. And I think we need to be honest about why that's happening, and that's a big part of the reason why I wrote this book. Why do you believe that this is happening? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the question, right? And I've heard many responses to that. I've heard... But the church is backwards. It's not. It's not progressive. It's not in, in touch with the times. It's. I've heard it's the church's political leanings. I've heard it's the hurt and the abuse that people experience within the four walls of the church. And and I, I'm sure those are all true to a degree. But I do think it's something more profound than any of those. 
And that's where I bring the word saint into the mix. So if you look at the word saint, the way we use it today, primarily, it's like we use it to refer to dead people. <laughs> or we use, it, we use it in like real institutional religion. We canonize people if they live really good lives or if they perform a few miracles. But if you look at the New Testament, you find that that is not how the word is supposed to be used. In fact, in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, you find the word Christian used only three times twice in Acts, once in First Peter. But you find the word saint used over 60 times. It was the identifier of the early church. And Paul was the one who primarily would use it. And when he would write, he would begin his letters with this, this statement of identity. He would say, to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae. And then he would go on and describe what it means to be a saint in Colossae, what it means to be a saint in Corinth, what it means to be a saint in Rome. And, and sadly, with, with this idea of a saint being something that only happens after we're dead, we don't realize that this word saint is supposed to energize the present. So Paul would write to them in a way of like, hey, you're a saint. And because you're a saint, you're present. This moment, this day, this week, where you find yourself right now in your everyday life has significance. You're called to be a saint now. This isn't a a distinction that belongs to a small group of people. All of us who are loved by God and are following Jesus, we are called to be saints. We're expected to embrace the tension of what it means in our everyday lives. We recently uh, at our church actually had an entire sermon on exactly what you wrote this book about, and I found it super interesting. So why do you think that wow. uh, Christians are so, I don't want to say afraid, but why why do they not like to identify with the term saint and rather they're used to calling themselves Christians? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think a part of it is the elitism, like that snobby elitism that's so ugly in religion. Um, I think saints has been associated with that. But again, looking at the word saint, to be a saint is to become profoundly human. It's to become very in touch with God's heart for this world. It's to, to see those inner intersections of heaven and earth. And that's really what a saint is. A saint is so, a, someone who practices and participates in the mystery of life and the mystery of the final day. So they see this world as God sees it. And because they see it through God's faith, hope, and love, because they see it through his vision for what will be, what could be, then they, they find practical ways to merge the world, what is and what will be, in their everyday lives, which means they don't take a day off. They realize that what they do on Monday is just as important as what they do on Sunday. They're people who deconstruct the barriers between the sacred and the secular because they realize that the gospel, the vision of the gospel, and Jesus made this so clear at the beginning of Acts, he's like, look, this gospel message isn't just for Jerusalem and Judea, your comfort zone. It's for Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's the great tension in the book of Acts, is like the early church having to figure out what it means for this gospel message, for the good news, to go beyond their comfort zones, their ethnicity, what they were used to. And I think we as a church, the reason, the reason why the world it looks at us and like, like, y'all just don't get it, and the reason why a lot of younger people in particular in the church are leaving the faith is because we haven't found ways to integrate our lives. We've, we've created this duplicity or this hypocrisy where you can be one person on Sunday or one person in the quote-unquote sacred circles and there's someone else in the secular. And if we're smart as the people of God, especially leaders in the church, we would say, hey, look, what you do again on Monday is just as important as what you do on Sunday. The whole idea of church, like institutional church, the fivefold ministry, is to equip the saints 
for the work of the ministry, which means the work of the ministry goes into the quote-unquote secular area of our lives, those, those vocations, the raising kids, being a spouse, working as a scientist, as a teacher, as a barista, whatever we find, like wherever we find ourselves, like God is reclaiming that space through us, his ambassadors, his representation on the earth, and saints are the ones who lean into that vision. Now, Addison, what role does grace play in our lives as saints? Yeah, <laughs> I write a lot about grace um, in, in two chapters in particular because I think we have such a low view of grace. It's, it's crazy to me, Colleen, that we believe that grace can save us from a uh, metaphysical or spiritual hell but is incapable of saving us from, from the hell that we find ourselves in when, we're, when we are slaves to the false self. And, and so this, this vision of grace that we have, it's, it's just too small. Like, God, God can save us from our sins, and he can also save us from ourselves. And that's, that's the beautiful journey of recreation. It's the journey of sanctification. It's the journey of discovering the fullness of the gift of salvation. And I think because we have such a low view of God and such a low view of his grace, we're not leaning into the full transforming power of the cross, of the gospel message, and because of that, the world really isn't seeing anything different in our lives. And this, this message, it's not like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that, like if you're a saint, you're going to do all these good things. Like, no, that, that is getting the cart before the horse. You know, like this is really about how we, number one, how God sees us, and number two, how we see ourselves. And there are so many people who are following Jesus, right, like, who genuinely love Jesus, want to spend their, their lives following him and learning what that means for the world, who have no idea what is available to them. Like, they have no idea the, the cosmic plan of restoration that they're a part of. Like, as it says in Romans, they, all of creation is groaning with anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to realize, like, what it is to be saints, like, what it is to be partakers of the divine nature, as it says in Second Peter 1, or as John writes in First John 3, and this is some radical stuff. He says that his God's seed is in us, and in the Greek, that sperma, like, his life is in us. This is not just, hey, let's play nice religion. This is radical revelation for a revolution, for a new way of being, for a new way of being humans, a new way of stewarding God's good creation, like all of these things that we feel called to. When we look at Scripture and we rediscover what it means to be, be the people of God, like our lives find meaning, purpose, value, significance, which is what people are craving. And I, I open the, the book with a chapter on the good life, and I make the point that all of us in some way or another, inside the church, outside the church, we're chasing this idea of the good life. But the good life, it's not a magical elixir of sex, stuff, and status. The good life isn't something we find. It's not an achievement. It's not some place that we get to. The good life is someone we become. And this good life, I love what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. It says that eternity was written on our hearts. Like There's an expansiveness. There's a largeness inside of us, and it drives us crazy. That's why we progress. That's why we innovate. That's why we pursue. And that good life that we were made for, that way of being that we crave, is actually synonymous with this idea of being a saint. They're one and the same. What I find very interesting is that uh, you tell a story about how God spoke to you through one of my kids' favorite books, Green Eggs and Ham. I'm very curious as to how that came to be. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's one of my kids' favorite books, too, and I've probably read it, I don't know, 50, 70, 100 times. (laughs) I remember one night I had finished reading it, and I was leaving the room, and I was shutting the door, and the, the Spirit of God whispered, and just said, I'm a lot like Sam I am. 
And I'm sure most people know the story, but for those out there who don't know it, the book essentially consists of Sam I Am trying to convince and corrupt the old man to try green eggs and ham. Like, that's the whole book. It, Dr. Seuss only used, like, 50 unique words, so it's very repetitive. And throughout the book, the grumpy old man's scenery, his landscape is changing, and Sam I Am keeps asking, well, hey, would you try, would you try green eggs and ham with a mouse or in a box or on a train or in the rain? And then finally at the end of the book, they crash land in this body of water, and the grumpy old man turns to Sam I Am and is like, I will try green eggs and ham just so you get off my back. He tries it ends up loving it, and then he spends the rest of the book saying, I will eat green eggs and ham in all these places that I previously said I wouldn't eat it. And so I was, I was leaving, and I was like, what is that? Like, what do you mean, God? What do you mean by this idea that you're a lot like Sam I am? And then I had the thought, well, you have this wonderful gift of salvation that you keep offering to the world, but the world rejects it and rejects it and rejects it and rejects it, but you're so persistent. Like, you're so consistent like Sam I am. And God was like, you know, Addison, you're, you're making this a, something that is impersonal. You're making it a macro idea when I'm, I'm communicating something that's very specific to you. I was like, okay. And then it hit me, like, I'm the grumpy old man. It's not the world. I'm the grumpy old man. And God showed me, like, I had this multifaceted, this robust, this disruptive gift of salvation that reaches into every facet of your being. And you have been content to just taste and see aspects of it, little pieces of it. And he's like, I've changed your environment. I've changed your landscape to open your eyes to what I have for you, to where I'm taking you, to what I'm doing in you. And you refuse to taste and see how good I am. And it hit me in that moment, Colleen. It just hit me how patient and how good God is. And I think there's so many of us, like, we have this idea of salvation, this idea of this journey with God. It's like that first moment is the moment. And then we basically spend the rest of our lives, like, trying to hold on to that first love or remember that first experience. And it's just a downhill slide from there. But that's not, like, that's not the vision of salvation. The vision of salvation is this journey of unpacking a gift that only gets bigger the more you open it. It's kind of like Russian dolls, but instead of opening them to find smaller ones, somehow you open them to find bigger ones. Like, that's the gift of salvation. And we get to spend the rest of this life, like, leaning into the tension of being, leaning into the wonder of God, leaning into the Scriptures, and seeing just how good He is and what His goodness means for our everyday lives. So what are you hoping people take away from the book then, Addison? Yeah, I would, I mean, I'm going to give you three things, okay? Three things. Number one, I think we need a fresh view at faith for a world losing hope in religion. I mean, this world is called a post-Christian world. I think, I think we need to dust off some really powerful language that, uh, that was a part of what the church used when they were turning the world upside down. So that's, that's one part of it. And something I've heard calling from a lot of people who read this, like, I cannot wait to give this to my friends, to my family members, who grew up in church and no longer in church, or friends and family members who are far from God or don't want anything to do with God, they're like, this book is going to reach them. Um, the second thing is I want people to see that it's so important they break down the barriers between the sacred and secular in their everyday lives, because when they do that, they're going to see that every day, every moment has meaning, has purpose, has significance. And the great lie that the ending of our soul uses is that what you do right now is insignificant. What you do right now does not have a purpose. So what, 
what the enemy of our soul tries to do is put meaning in our past or in our future. And it's like, hey, one day when you accomplish X, Y, and Z, or one day when you, you know, graduate from college, or when you get married, or when you get that new job or that new house, like, then your life will have meaning. And what he does by doing that is he steals the potential of the moment. And what we have is today. That's what we have. And saints are the people who realize that today is precious, today is holy, today is significant. And they realize that the kingdom of God advances at the intersection of relationship. And today is holy because it represents relationships. It represents opportunity. And they take this cosmic vision of restoration, reconciliation, redemption, and they say, God, you have invited me into that, and I'm going to lean into what it means for me to be obedient, what it is for me to be a person of vision today in my everyday life, and merge the worlds of what is and what will be revealing your kingdom, your these beautiful demonstrations of faith, hope, and love to a world that's looking for something more. Okay, we need to read this book, Addison. Tell us about where we can get it. It's available wherever books are sold on January 21, and they can also go to addisonbevere.com. Um, and, yeah, I'm on Instagram, too. I'm not a huge social media fan, but I am on Instagram. That's the only one I'm on. What do you say to people who are really uh, struggling with dealing with the concept of being a saint? I would say, look, throw, throw aside, I know it's difficult, but language is everything. Like, throw aside the ideas that you have of what a saint is and go back to Scripture's narrative and, and, I, and read this book, and I challenge you to take a fresh look at that word because it really does. That word possesses everything that we crave as humans. It really does. It's, it's such a robust word, and I'm not saying that we need to throw out Christian, but as you and I both know, Colleen, Christian, the word Christian comes with a lot of baggage, and it comes with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, and so I'm hoping we can breathe new life into both of these words, and I think when people take a fresh look at saint, the word saint, they're going to find things that they've been looking for. So much to learn from today's conversation. Yeah, isn't it? And the great thing is you can listen to it again. Just check out your radio station's website or find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your favorite podcast.